Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 16th of March. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Welcome back. Thank you. In this week's CEC Report, fight for a Glass-Steagall banking separation. It's the financial establishment's greatest fear. And second, spy poisoning accusations against Russia are blatant disinformation. So first, fight for a Glass-Steagall banking separation. It's the financial establishment's greatest fear. So Craig, we've had an extraordinary development this week because the Banking Royal Commission has commenced in Melbourne. And as we've been reporting on this show, um, when the, there was a big push for a Royal Commission because the banks have just exploited, looted, abused their customers with impunity for a long time, right? And there's so much rage in the community. And there was this backbench revolt brewing, etc. And the Liberals were determined there wouldn't be an inquiry Royal Commission and finally, it became overwhelming and Malcolm Turnbull jumped before he was pushed and he produced a terms of reference that said, OK, we're going to have a Royal Commission, but it's going to be very narrowly focused. A Bankers' right? Royal Commission, Robbie. And what was important was that the Bankers, not the day before, the night before that Turnbull came out and announced this thing, put up there basically support for a Royal Commission. So you know that there would have been lots of discussions That's going right. on behind the scenes about what this Royal Commission can touch and what it can't touch. This is the one they approved, this is right? This Royal Commission they approved. Now, they always said that Royal Commissions always start up as a cover-up. I mean, they, that's what they're designed. Yeah, a Royal cover-up. So this is, this is by and large, uh, the, the suspicion that this is rigged is well-founded, except, Craig, one little detail that started to percolate through, even before the hearing started this week, is Malcolm Turnbull possibly made a mistake with his choice of commissioner? Because the feedback we're getting is the commissioner, Kenneth Hayne, is a straight shooter. And the other thing to, to bear in mind is, as a commissioner, his name will be on this Royal Commission for all time, mm. right? And even though the government wants it to be a cover-up and the banks want it to be a cover-up, he, he has a bit of a say in this, right? And so, so far he's put the banks through their paces, etc. Anyway... Whatever has happened is enough to spark a real freak out among the banks and among the editors of the Australian Financial Review. Now, the Australian Financial Review is the banker's mouthpiece. That's who they are. And they opposed this Royal Commission right up to when it was called, right? They were vitriolic against anything, any sense that it was needed at all. Nothing to see here. Don't look here. This is a terrible, terrible newspaper, really, how blatantly um, pro-banker they are. So they produced an editorial this week, though, and what they said in this editorial, Craig, they said, here's, the pro here's what we fear about the Royal Commission. Here's the biggest problem that we identify. And I'll just read you the quotes, right? Because um, this is the, they, they're claiming that, uh, you know, it's not needed, etc. But they revealed that their biggest fear is that this Royal Commissioner will stray outside the terms of reference and call for the banks to be broken up, right? So their yeah. fear is not that he will demand justice for the, for, the, for the victims of the banks, right? And maybe even demand compensation. That's the kind of scope it's got. That's not their fear. Their fear is this will, be a, this will lead to a structural reform. So here's, here's the quote. He said, they said, um, quote, the Hain Commission is not designed to be an inquiry into how our entire successful banking industry has been structured and nor must it become one. That's, that's them giving them an order. You must not look at that, 
Mm-hmm. Right? Then they went on to say the fear, the, the worry is that the magnitude of expectation out there of what this Royal Commission could deliver, and there is a magnitude of expectation, Craig. People right around Australia are hanging on the hearings of this. We're getting feedback from it. Quote, sets up the expectation that some radical overhaul of the banking system should follow, such as a forced breakup of their activities. And then they specify later what they mean by that. The vertical integration of banking, insurance and wealth management. So in other words, this is what you've got. The way we put it in our publication this week, Craig, is that what the Fin Review is saying, and this is not to blow our trumpet, but there's a very important point here. On the one side of this fight over banking in Australia, you've got the whole financial establishment, the Fin Review, the, the banks, etc. On the other side, you've got the CEC. Mm-hmm. Not that we're the greatest, but it's the CEC that have made this the number one issue. That it's the structure of banking that has caused all these problems and the only solution to the banking crisis in Australia is that structure has to be broken up. Robbie, you have to remember, people have to remember that this massive fight we went with APRA yeah, to try and stop this legislation, yep. uh, particularly try and stop the bail-in legislation that's now gone through. And we call it bail-in legislation because by default, in this legislation, as we were demanding and others were trying to, uh, trying to do, deposits were not excluded from bail-in. And for those new viewers, bail-in means where the banks have the right to literally confiscate your deposits. And the mantra from all the banks more is... Oh, deposits, more than deposits, um, other forms of savings were in certain securities, yep. but inclusive of deposits. Yep. Yeah, it's not just, yeah, as you say. So the point is that here you have the Australian Financial Review, which covered us and the APRA campaign significantly over the course of several months. And now it's come out with this editorial. They know where the monkey sleeps. The other thing I found fascinating, Robbie, is how long did the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse go for? Was it five years? Quite a long time. More than, more than a year. This is, a restrict, this is, this this, is very this restricted, one, this, this one. This Banking Royal Commission's yep. got one year to report. And yet, yet these other Royal Commissions go on for three, four or five years. Now here you have one of the most important you know, aspects of the Australian economy, and you, this is why it's a cover-up. It's been quarantined, or sorry, guillotined, I should yeah, say, to close yeah. at, uh, in February. Now, if there was a serious, actual serious Royal Commission, you would be looking at the structures of the bank yep. and all of this, but they're terrified because they know the fact is that there's another global financial crisis coming down. They've put into place the laws to be able to steal people's deposits and they're trying to cover this up as much as they possibly can. And the last thing they want to do is go through the criminality of organisations like APRA, which is documented, we've documented in our publications, because that would really, that would really blow the whistle. Well, on. it just so happened the day before this, the Financial Review editorial, the day before we had produced a flyer for the Royal Commission headline, banks are structured to exploit customers, the Royal Commission must investigate APRA and banking structure. So that's what I'm saying. It's the CEC on one side. Yep. And look, most of Australia is behind us. You know, our viewers are, etc. whether they know it or not. But what, just one question before the break, Craig, is that a lot of people out there have sort of been taking on this banking issue from the standpoint of being victims of the bank and being upset at being ripped off and hoping they can get some compensation. But shouldn't they take a lesson from this editorial, understanding what the bankers think and realise, OK, yeah, fight for justice through the Royal Commission, but fight to solve the problem overall by joining the CEC's fight for Glass-Steagall? It's a political fight, first and foremost, Robbie, because, look, the issue is that the banks are no longer under the control of any of our government. They 
completely dictate the policies of banking in this country. Now, this was never the case, not always the case, you would say. Go back to the war and look at Curtin and Chifley and how they used the Commonwealth yeah. Bank to, re to regulate the private banking system so there wasn't profiteering made out of the war when things got scarce and so forth. It also was able to direct credit into productive industries, like particularly in farming and places where there isn't huge markets. Well, that's right. They didn't just stop them from doing bad things. They made them do good things and the economy benefited but immensely. But it was a political instruction. And what we're talking about with Glass-Steagall is that we're calling upon the government to introduce legislation, which we're in the process of writing, actually, mm. whereby you break up these huge, too-big-to-fail banks, and you separate out the commercial, the necessary commercial banking system, the boring banking, as we call it, you know, deposits, mortgages, loans, and so forth, and you completely separate that out from all these other activities, merchant banking, investment banking, insurance houses, stockbroking houses, and whoever, whatever else they're into, right? The point is that that other part of banking isn't banking. Yep. It never was banking and shouldn't be classed as banking. So in terms of people you know, taking up this larger fight, we are going to have legislation soon, Craig, to distribute all around Australia, and that's going to be the next stage of this. Get um, uh, your MP to support this bill, and in the meantime, we've produced this flyer on the Royal Commission where we're asking everyone, you demand your MP go and see Malcolm Turnbull and say, you better change those terms of reference because this Royal Commission should be able to look at APRA. Also, send an email to the Royal Commission itself to the Royal Commissioner, Kenneth Hayne, and say, listen, Mr Hayne, please, you request the right to be able to look at APRA, right, and look at the banking structure, i.e., go where the banks don't want you to go. They've said what not to touch. That means that's what you should touch. Now, let's take a break, and we'll continue this after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we've been discussing how the banks have made it clear and the financial review has made it clear the last thing they want things like the Royal Commission to look at is the question of should banks be broken up and Glass-Steagall. Now, Craig, we're, this segment we've got a, um, a, a special just-in um, off-the-ground report or on-the-ground report from Western Australia where we've had a crew over there deploying as part of our campaign in the streets, right? So just before we go to that, though, I just want to... Um, uh, report uh, some of what they're the, like what, the reason we did it in terms of the campaign we're on we've made a huge splash it must be said and we've been reporting this a little bit but what's happening is we're getting this feedback where members of parliament are really feeling the heat over the way that bail-in law was passed in February right yeah. on, on Valentine's Day and so they should and so they should because a lot of people are totally furious and these MPs are not taking it lying down now we are not telling people, by the way, the CEC is not telling people, go and harass your member of parliament, like slam your, attack your member of parliament for doing this. But it's, it looks like people naturally are. They're calling up and saying, why on earth did this happen? So just a couple of examples, which we can put up on the screen. Last week, the Byron Echo had a very good article, actually. Green Senator dismisses claim new law will grab personal savings in financial crisis. And it was about the law, the bill, and what the CEC says about it, that this, the risk is that this can include um, deposits. Then they quote, Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson, who spoke to the bill on the Senate floor, told the Echo that the CEC are, quote, full of shit. Beat that out if you must. <laughs> um, and, and then tried to cast aspersions on what we're saying because we're supposedly, because we're a political party, which we are, but we're running a campaign. He said, there's nothing we could have done that could have placated them, adding that the CEC simply don't trust the regulator, APRA. Oh, hallelujah. Quote, trust holds the financial industry together, he said. 
That was his only refutation yeah. for us saying this could include deposits. Trust me. Trust me. Trust APRA. No, Ooh. Senator Wish Wilson, you don't trust APRA. And remember, as I've said a bit here before, what made us, what made me particularly cranky at him when he gave his speech is I was there in Parliament House with a former APRA employee, Dr. Wilson Sy, and Wish Wilson refused to meet him. Right, So he can trust APRA all his likes, but he didn't want to meet the guy who could have given him grounds not to, and that's dishonest. Right, So I'll say that. Um, anyway, so he's feeling the heat. Another, another one who felt the heat was uh, Senator David Leonholm, who was in the Senate when it passed. He said it would be appreciated if the people from the CEC would stop telling lies about me and my vote on the, on the bill. He said there was no vote on the bill. It, was, it went through on the voices. I moved the second reading amendment. However, it failed to attract support. Well... That, you know, I don't know what sort of excuse that was. The fact is he was there, he didn't say nay, and the bill went through on the voices, and he's claiming, oh, well, I didn't vote for it. I don't know what he's actually trying to say. The point is he's saying it because he's feeling the heat, right? Because a lot of people are now taking this very seriously. So let's just let's go to our on-the-ground report from Western Australia to um, Ben Pearce, and he's talking to us from the uh, Hay Street Mall. This is Benjamin Pierce for the CEC report in the Hay Street Mall in the city of Perth. We're out here organising the population against the bail-in laws that have just been passed and for a full Glass-Steagall separation of the Australian banking system. We're getting a good response here so far. I've got the Western Australian State Secretary, Jean Robinson, here with me. Hello, Jean. Hi, Ben. Can you comment on uh, the response that we're getting out here in the mall today? Um, it's very, very good. It's actually excellent because we've always wanted to come organise and have field tables here in Perth. It's always been not allowed, basically. But now things are changing and what we're finding is that we're having huge recognition, particularly of the CEC report itself. Um, so there's a lot more people willing to actually get on board and help. We're getting people to subscribe to our weekly newsletter and also... Um, We've actually in the process of producing some draft legislation which we're asking everybody to take to their state and level federal members of parliament because this, this is urgently needed considering now the bail-in legislation is actually federal law in Australia. One thing uh, I've noticed, because we've been here organising for the last two weeks, we've been hitting up suburbs around Perth. This is the second time we've deployed in the mall here. We also spent a couple of days at the Wage and Woolarama show, uh, which was a couple of hours out at Perth and got a good response there as well. But there's a lot of recognition uh, of the Citizens Electoral Council in general and our fight, but also the CEC report. A lot of people are becoming more aware of the CEC report. But more specifically, uh, even not necessarily directly through us, but of bail-in in general, and what's been happening in the bail-in fight over the last several weeks. We know the information's getting out very far uh, on social networks and, and through other means, but we're seeing this reflected in the responses we're getting from the population. A lot of people are walking straight up to the table wanting to know what they can do to help, and we're seeing that in uh, subscriptions to the Australian Alert Service newsletter, for example, which everybody who watches this show should get on board with that because it does help us in the fight. We are going to launch a new campaign now for Glass-Steagall given that the bail-in laws were passed. So can you comment a little bit more on uh, that kind of response, this recognition of bail-in and the CEC that we're seeing? Um, what we're finding is you've got people who know a little bit about it but 
the reality is, is most people actually don't know about it and, and people are actually totally horrified when they actually realise that the federal government's passed this legislation, which means that they're actually going to lose their deposits and, you know, threaten everybody's ability to, to function. So, um, so it's actually really a big learning curve for the population who are talking to us and they're very eager and keen to actually become involved. We've actually got a um, parliamentary petition calling for the Glass-Siegel Act and the recreation of, of the National Common Bank. Uh, credit bank, so people are very eager to actually support that and, and realise these are the solutions because you know the Citizens Electric Council is actually very unique in the only political party in Australia actually offering um, solutions and they've actually drafted legislation that's required to be done. Hmm. So we are actually we are actually seeing people as well who had no idea before they came around us uh, actually joining the fight as well. Uh, yeah. re they'll be reading the newsletter, signing up for that. Uh, we had one just here a moment ago, actually, but um, people are responding on that level. There's already that anger and rage against the banks, um, and when they come over and they find out more about bail-in, then uh, you know they'll they'll end up supporting us in the fight. Um, you know, maybe probably a reasonably large percentage of people are doing that as well. So, have you got any more final thoughts on on the organising in general here? Well, I, th I think it's really important for Australians to realise that they've actually, um, you know, got to become more political and, you know, our organisation, you know, needs a lot more people to come and help, you know, to educate their fellow citizens in, you know, what's going on and more importantly what the solutions are. So, you, you know, it's only through, you know, being in the vis visible to the population that you're actually going to get people recognising who the Citizens Electric Council is and what we're actually doing. But yeah, but there's a lot of people that actually um, are looking as they walk past, uh, and it's great because now they're actually be able to recognise us in the future. And you know, we get a lot of people who do do take some literature to read, and, and we, as you say, we have a lot of people that actually sign up to the Australian Work Service. Now. It's been really good. And spread the word about what we're doing as well. So we'll keep on with the fight here in WA. Um, back to you in Melbourne. Thanks for that, Ben. And Craig will be back after the break. Welcome back to the CEC report. Finally, spy poisoning accusations against Russia are blatant disinformation. So Craig, this is the big issue of the last few days, right? Um, Theresa May has come out and said, it is highly likely that Russia poisoned this ex-spy the problem is they've got no motive whatsoever and they got, they're not presenting any evidence whatsoever. Anyway, I, we're not going to deal with all the facets of it. There's, people can read that. We will do some stuff in, the, in our alert service um, in the future, all the, all the different contradictory intelligence we're talking about. I want to focus on one thing that, that viewers will have a handle on. Look at the way our media is reporting it. And what you're hearing is, you've all heard that Theresa May has said Russia did it and that's the news. But have you, the Australian viewer of t television news, heard that while Theresa May has said that Russia did it, the leader of the opposition who sits across from her in Parliament, Jeremy Corbyn, has questioned her rush to judgment and said, where's the evidence? Our media is not reporting that. So let me just play two videos. This is Theresa May having a crack at Jeremy Corbyn and you'll see what Corbyn says, and then look at Corbyn's own backbenchers getting up to contradict him and attack him. They are Blairites who hate him and they're using this against him, so have a quick look at that. There is no alternative conclusion 
other than that the Russian state was culpable for the attempted murder of Mr Skripal and his daughter, and for threatening the lives of other British citizens in Salisbury, including Detective Sergeant Nick Bailey. The United Kingdom will now expel 23 Russian diplomats who have been identified as undeclared intelligence officers. They have just one week to leave. How has she responded to the Russian government's request for a sample of the agent used in the Salisbury attack to run its own tests? It is, as we on these benches have expressed before, a matter of huge regret that our country's diplomatic capacity has been stripped back with cuts of 25% in the last five years. This is not a question of our diplomacy, of what diplomatic support we have around the world. This is a question of the culpability of the Russian state for an act on our soil. It was clear from the remarks that were made by backbenchers across the whole of this House on Monday that there is a consensus across the backbenches of this House. I am only sorry that the consensus does not go as far as the right honourable gentleman. Kendall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Prime Minister's statement, agree with her analysis and fully support the government's actions. Bradshaw. Can I assure the Prime Minister that most of us on these benches fully support the measures that she has announced today? Ms Bryant. I completely support everything that the Prime Minister has said today. Now have a look at this obvious fact. This is a Corbyn supporter, a prominent one, um, Owen Jones, on Sky News, defending Corbyn's position with the obvious thing that must be said about his credibility compared to his opponents. The history of the Conservative Party has been, for example, to dilute sanctions against Russia on the basis it would damage the City of London, which bankrolls the Conservative Party. As for having a so-called United Front, I remember all too well the Iraq War, which the Henry Jackson Society are, and, and its key figures were principal cheerleaders on. I remember Libya, when we were told that anybody who opposed the Libyan War was a disgrace, was a stooge for Colonel Gaddafi. And Helmand Province that anybody who opposed or criticised the government's stance on the basis that we should be united as a country against, you know, and anybody else was a stooge of Saddam Hussein, of Colonel Gaddafi, uh, of the Taliban. And what happened with the attempt to bully people into silence was those people who still now walk the stage of politics and who are splashed across the media as statesmen, as sensible, hard-nosed individuals who understand reality, while all the people, like Jamie Corbyn, every single time, who was vindicated, is portrayed as a traitor and a coward. It was Jamie Corbyn who was standing, isolated then back in the 1980s, when Britain backed Saddam Hussein as he gassed the Kurds. It was him who was one of those arrested opposing apartheid South Africa whilst the Conservatives said they were a terrorist organisation. It was him, yes, who opposed the Iraq war with the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and the deaths of 189 or so British service personnel. And yes, one of about six MPs who opposed the war in Libya, which turned that place into a safe haven for Islamist 
extremist fanatics and ISIS. And we saw the rise of ISIS across Iraq, of course, as well. The same people over and over again who are the architects of the biggest foreign policy catastrophes of all time are still treated as sensible, moderate, hard-nosed people like the Henry Jackson Society. And in any decent world or society with any justice, these people would have absolutely no credibility on any subject whatsoever. Okay. And yet they still walk the stage as though we should treat them seriously when Jeremy Corbyn was far more right than they were on the biggest foreign policy calls of our time. And I think they okay. should be a little bit more humble about it. Than okay, that. Alan. So for more information, anything we've discussed, Call in and get a free copy of the alert service. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.